This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's Wednesday, December the 11th. Time once again for T. Watts and TR here on the Built by Bama online podcast. I'm Travis Ryer. He's Tim Watts, fresh from uh, the assortment of Christmas trees now that we have learned about there at Casa de Watts. What about it, Tim? Uh, any squirrels loose in the house uh, with these trees? Uh, anything you can report to that nature? Oh, it's funny you mentioned that. I just walked into my office for the, to, to take the pod, and they're out there working on Christmas trees now. So <laughs> I, I think uh, it's funny you mentioned that. I think what's thrown them off, I told my wife, was that since she has a schedule she keeps and um, she does it like the day after Thanksgiving and the next Wednesday and all that stuff. Well, we're a week behind because Thanksgiving was so late. So I think she looked up and it was three weeks till Christmas and she went scrambling last week. So all these things should be up soon. There you go. There you go. What's uh what does the light bill, how much of an increase in the light bill do we see there around uh, the Watts home? Once you get everything up, once you get everything uh, you know, sort of juiced, electrified, I guess you could say. Is there a noticeable jump in the uh, in the in the light bill, the power bill there, Tim, this time of year for you? Really, I'll tell you, my, my kids, I don't know if everybody's kids are this way, um, but they've been doing these LED lights in their room before Bryant-Denny Stadium had them. Oh, I wow. Mean, they have them. It goes around. It's, a, it's cheap. It's easy. It goes around the top of the room. Those are on the bottom. They have it in the bathroom. When you go in there and there's a motion, a neon light shines up to make sure you're uh, you're aiming properly. So the LED lights have been here the whole time. I mean, I'll go, I'll, I'll be here by myself late at night, and you know they're away, and I'll look up and the room's lit up, literally like Bryant Denny Stadium. The colors flash, and you can change colors. So I don't know if everybody does that, but no, the power bill's pretty steady, but usually yeah. based on the air conditioning or the heat. Yeah, efficient. Efficiency, the key word there when it comes to the old. It's too high, don't get me wrong. But oh, yeah. Summertime here in Tuscaloosa, man, uh, That that's when the big jump takes place uh, around the house. But, uh, you know, all these kids, they, they like it. And I do, too. I'm guilty of it, too. I like the ceiling fans on in the summer, and I like the AC set on 70, pretty much. That's the way we roll. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. How about snow on Tuesday night? Was there any snow uh, for you guys there in the Birmingham area that you could report, Tim? I haven't seen any. I've talked to, you know, obviously there were some in different parts of the country. I know one of our Tennessee publishers sent me a picture. They got snow and I talked to our Ole Miss guy and he was getting huge snowflakes. I didn't get anything. I got a lot of rain yesterday and it was pretty warm until last night to get cold. Did it rain in Tuscaloosa? I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got. No, 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 no snow. Okay. Okay. But, you know, just just to the north. I mean, north of Birmingham, it looked like uh, there was a little bit of accumulation. Huntsville got hit pretty hard Tuesday night, Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday night. And uh, the daughter, though, she was very disappointed. She was hoping for that delayed uh, start to school. 
you know, on Wednesday, maybe a little bit of some ice or something to push that start time back to around 1030 or so, but it didn't happen, Tim. Well, we didn't get yeah. anything in the way of ice. I can tell you there was no snow expected here. We'd be shut down for the next week. <laughs> we had the snow hit. Well, the snow hit the city of Alabaster once and it hit the whole state, but it hit really hard. We had kids trapped at school. Um, yeah. You know, we heard stories of people going up to get kids at the school and on four wheelers and people had to spend the night. And a lot of the teachers couldn't get home to different areas they lived in. So they don't they don't mess around with it now. They err on the side of caution, obviously. So, yeah, we're not set up for it in this part of the country. I mean, we don't have the, uh, you know, the, the snow moving equipment, and those type of things. So uh, when it hits here, we we pretty much. uh we go into hibernation mode. We eat all of our milk sandwiches. You know, we buy all of the milk and bread off the shelves yeah, at I'm the not, grocery store when we're going to have a dusting. All those things come into play. Yeah, I'm not convinced. It's not a somewhat conspiracy from the milk. Marketing. Yeah. Or, or just the grocery stores. They're like, hey, we're really backed up. This milk's going to expire. Hey, James Spann, hit us with the snow warning. <laughs> Let's clear these shelves out. I'm only one in there not getting milk. I'm like, it's the Mountain Dew, is there donuts? You know, I'm only I'm not, no, no, not the bread, ma'am. No, I need the donuts. Chips and salsa. Yeah. Yeah, but exactly. I, you know, about the snow, I had a friend from Indiana, some, some friends from up there, and all they did was talk trash about when it snowed, how we shut down the whole state. And mm-hmm. He was like, dude, in the snow, we ride around. It's no big deal. Well, then I finally went to Indiana with him, and it is flat. There are no hills. I don't even know if the curve. I mean, it is like one straight shot. Of course, you can drive in that. They're not trying to go through Hoover to get to, you know, the Green Springs, you know, you know, going up and down outside of a mountain. So that I think that plays a huge part in it. Yeah, it's one big plane up there. You know, that's all it is in in the state of Indiana. Um, we have a lot to get to on this edition of T Watts and TR. Uh, we've got the coaching carousel, Tim, in full effect uh, around college football to this point in Tuscaloosa. Nothing of hard news to report in relation to Nick Saban's staff. We've talked about it in some previous pods. Obviously, the full focus for this staff right now is getting to one week from today. That's when you're going to have the start of the early signing period, the December signing period. So uh, uh, in relation, in comparison to some other places, both at the head coaching level and at the assistant level, in which we've seen at places like Georgia, South Carolina, because there's been movement uh, more so at the uh, assistant level, you've seen some some guys with uh, serious SEC experience move into some spots like Mike Bobo, taking over as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach for Will Muschamp there at South Carolina. Mike, of course, spent some time recently as the head coach at Colorado State. Matt Luke, the former head coach here recently at Ole Miss, steps in for Sam Pittman as the offensive line coach at Georgia after Pittman makes the move from UGA to Arkansas as the head coach. Lane Kiffin in at Ole Miss. Man, so many previous uh, coaching ties to the league, moving around the league. Chad Morris, previously the head coach at Arkansas, now the offensive coordinator at Auburn. Um, incestuous, I guess, one way to describe some of the movement around the league uh, from the uh, coaching perspective, Tim. Yeah, I mean, you've seen it. It's been so odd. The coaching surgeons, you know, for Alabama, people that cover Alabama, we're so used to having to deal with the 
the rumors of a coach going here, a coach going there. It's really the first time I can remember in a long time there hasn't been a ton of rumors. Um, obviously, you try to put those rumors to rest, especially to get to that early signing period next Wednesday. And, um, you know, because it hurts. I mean, Kirby Smart is seeing what it's like to, you know, to, to deal with, you know, to be sort of like in that Nick Saban situation where you're losing not only, a, you know, a pretty good coach, but, I mean, Sam Pittman was a great recruiter for them. Did a terrific job. Offensive linemen loved him. Did a great job. I mean, I've heard nothing but good things. A little bit surprised, I think, that he got the Arkansas job. That thing, it, that happened so quick with, uh, you know, everybody was going after the Memphis guy. Everybody was going after them. Then that domino sort of fell to FSU. Then everybody, you know, there's a lot of talk that Lane Kiffin was taking the Arkansas job. And then Ole Miss came in, you know, full-fledged. And, uh, you know, even the guy that ended up at Missouri, what was his name? Uh, Eli Drinkwitz. Yeah. Elijah Drinkwitz. There was talk that he was taking Arkansas, but I know when they offered Pittman, they got him. It's going to be interesting. He's an Arkansas guy. Um, you know, Rusty Manziel, our Georgia guy, was close to him and said he always wanted to retire to Arkansas. So it's his, you know, it's his first big job, and you can't pass up those opportunities. But yeah, the best storylines are Mike Bobo is going to be coaching against Kirby Smart. You know, and they're super close and and friends and uh there's still talk that Georgia could have more turnover in their staff there you know Dan Landing's been mentioned with Florida State and and uh some other some other guys so but yeah and then Auburn went and got the band back together they got Chad Morris coming off a rough stint at Arkansas so him and Gus had some pretty good success together so yeah you know a lot of a lot a lot of familiar moves it'll be interesting with Gus too because he came right out before the 2019 season and said, look, I'm calling the plays. And he, even with Kenny Dillingham coming in with the title of offensive coordinator from the University of Memphis, Dillingham now moves to Florida State with Mike Norvell, his former boss there at Memphis, who has taken the head job down in Tallahassee. It'll be interesting. Is Chad Morris the play caller primarily? Is it a collaborative effort? Is it Gus? You said it. They have a history together. So from that standpoint, it should be a beneficial a reunion, uh, just in terms of game planning, uh, game week prep, those type of things. Uh, but some interesting relationships sort of being rekindled. And you also had the potential for Dave Aranda, the defensive coordinator there at LSU, a lot of smoke on Tuesday that Aranda could be headed to UNLV as the head coach. Uh, it looks like that has been beaten back here in the last 12 hours or so but uh it's definitely that time of year but from an Alabama perspective right still pretty quiet for this staff uh, as it looks ahead to, to trying to get this class put to bed yeah and you know we talked about that on one of the first you know right after the Auburn game where we where, where we were you know speculating that nothing's really going to happen quick uh I don't think Nick Saban's going to to overreact to make his decision, you know, while he's trying to hit the road recruiting. And if anybody's following this guy, like I've always said, that guy is on the road toe to toe with any recruiter in the country of any age, any part of the court, uh, the, you know, any part of the country, Nick Saban's on the road. He's very active. So I doubt he's put a whole lot of thought even into any coaching moves if he wants to make any. Um, so we knew we'd try to get to that early signing period and discuss it. And then they got bowl preparation. They got the juniors, and, uh, you know, whether they're going to go and, you know, go to the NFL and, you know, who's staying and who's going and who's playing and who's sitting and just a lot going on. So, yeah, it's it's rare air for Alabama not to really be in the mix of a bunch of stuff. They tried to throw some names out there a little bit with Alabama. They never they know that fuse never lit. But um, 
you know, and going back to the LSU thing with with Aranda, there's a lot of talk. And I don't I obviously think this will be down the road, but I still think that's a guy that's probably going to end up with the job. There was discussion. He's been there for a while. Um, good. At, you know, he didn't have a great year, you know, based on what he's done in the past. I'm a firm believer that you can't score 50 points and shut everybody out. I just think your defense is gassed. And, you know, I think we saw that this year with how successful LSU's offense was so that's still a situation to watch I mean they're still going to have some guys moving you know they're going to have M's finger I believe is supposed to retire but then Joe Brady's supposed to step in their negotiations to keep him um, so there's a lot left there's a lot going on there's going to be a, you know most of the signing recruiting will be done um, I think it's around 70 percent each year after next Wednesday but those 30 percent you're going to see some tooth and nail fights for them you're going to see some coaching changes I believe so so much football left yeah, Aranda to UNLV just didn't make sense. You know, I mean, if you're going to leave uh, a place, and I understand he's made plenty of money already there with multi-million dollar deal he has in Baton Rouge, and it's more about taking the next step professionally, and I get that UNLV is going to be moving into the new Raiders stadium there in Vegas, but UNLV just, that that's not the job. Now, if we're talking a job like even Colorado State, I can get that. There is a sure. history of success there. There's a commitment to football at Colorado State. I, I can see that more, Tim, than UNLV. I agree. Or even, or even Memphis. You know, Memphis oh, is yeah. a great spot. That's an area he can recruit. He's a defensive guy. Um, so, yeah, that's what I thought. Do UNLV and, every, you know, the people that were trying to sell it's like he gets to play at the Raiders Stadium. And I was like, yeah, but he is dropping like 60% of his salary. That's not yeah. – it's, he can fly, he can keep the $2.5 million and fly out there every weekend and watch the game. So um, I don't think that Raider facility was going to be the deal maker. But, yeah, I think that when you make a move like that, you know how important it is to make that right move. We've seen coaches who were impatient and jumped at the first job, um, and, and you know it came back to bite them in the butt. Uh, Alabama's had guys as far as taking head jobs who've been pretty smart. Kirby Smart was very patient and ended up with Georgia. Jeremy Pruitt – played his time right. He was up for Mississippi State and then got Tennessee. So those are jobs you want and jobs you probably can succeed at. You go to, you start getting into the UNLVs and, you know, we've seen a hot recruiter and, you know, a big name like Fresno Frank. State. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Frank Wilson, who was at UTSA. And, you know, now I think they've let him go. So that was a guy that knew how to recruit, but he wanted his own gig and it's hard to win. And it's certainly hard to win as a head coach when you're trying to put a system into place um, where they don't have success, like you said, Billy Napier has did a great job at, uh, at the University of Louisiana. He did a terrific job. That was a good football team. I think they're like 10 and three this year, maybe the first 10 win season. He's did a fantastic job. I'd be surprised if his name doesn't start coming up. He got a little mention, you know, for Ole Miss. And, you know, to me, Ole Miss made a good hire. I don't know what other people think. We haven't really talked about it, but I think anytime you can get a guy like Lane Kiffin, um, he can be, and his press conference was good. I mean, he said the right things, and he did the right things, uh, even in the face of, you know, the weird guy telling him to get a burner phone. And, you know, <laughs> you know, I was like, shoot, dude, you're not supposed to yell that. That's something you, like, say on on Lolo. You're not supposed to, yeah, get a burner phone. That, so, was, some, that was some straight Danny McBride yeah, HBO series potential right like, there, that like, whole deal. Yeah, like, come on. So I think Ole Miss, that's a good hire. I mean, you're going to get a lot of people looking at him, and he's got a little job there to do as far as building them back in a tough area. So um, Could be a staff, too, right? Strong with some, some Alabama ties, both from 
you know, obviously his time here in Tuscaloosa, but then some of the guys he took with him to FAU from Alabama, uh, Charlie Weiss Jr., Wilson Love from a strength and conditioning perspective. There's been some rumblings about uh, some potential other names with Alabama ties on that Ole Miss staff, Tim. Um, I, I think there's there's going to be at least some flavor. He has Lance Thompson down there with him as an assistant at FAU. Yeah, uh, this I don't think Lance is going to be Lance is still with his current issues. I, I don't think Lance is going to Ole Miss. Yeah, I've talked to some coaches. I think he's got to be. I think he has to be. Him and Sankey have to have a talk and get it worked out before he's allowed to coach in the SEC. I know he's in. I don't want to get in. I don't know what. I don't know the whole story, but I know from right now what I've been told is Lance isn't supposed to be part of that staff. If he is. It's going to certainly be in there. Even Lane. Lane makes recruiting fun. I mean, you remember him at Tennessee, and and heck, he was there nine months, you know, and and, and burned it to the ground, you know, <laughs> you know, went out and doing a wheelie on a motorcycle. So this guy's going to be fun. He's always fun on the recruiting trail. He's always good quotes at Alabama. Whenever he was quoted, he was fun to be around. I do sense a certain maturity about him, um, more so than you know than before when he was at Alabama before he came to Alabama. So. I'd like to see him do. I'd like to see the SEC uh, have, you know, have some have some good coaches there. But I mean, again, it's you know, it's a he's going to be building from the ground up at Ole Miss almost. He is. And um, yeah, you're right. Lance, most recently at South Carolina uh, is is where uh, they've had some issues uh, with the uh, NCAA. So you're right. That would be an interesting conversation between uh, Lance and potentially Greg Sankey or Ole Miss and Greg Sankey if Lane wanted to truly make that happen. Um, so, Tim, let's uh, let me ask you this. It is T. Watts and T.R. on the Built by Bama online podcast. Uh, you had an official visit weekend in Tuscaloosa uh, that you're coming off of, another one coming up, and then right into the early signing period next Wednesday. Who's the most important guy on Alabama's board? Maybe not the best player, best overall prospect. But in your opinion, the most important guy left to fill to finish this puzzle that is the 2020 recruiting class, at least from the early period perspective, understanding that probably going to go over into the February date with a couple other guys. But going into a week from today, the one guy that is expected to sign early that is most important to Alabama. You know, I think it's, I think he might actually be the best player and the most important is Demoy Kennedy, the uh, linebacker from Mobile, Alabama. Has been a lifelong Alabama fan. Loves C.J. Mosley. Wears his number. C.J. went to the same high school. Has been committed. Took a visit to LSU. Everybody got nervous. Up in arms. Um, still looking at LSU to some degree. The kid doesn't say a lot. The people around him make it seem like. Alabama's going to hold on to him, but this is that inside backer that you saw this year where they missed with N'Kobe Dean, Henry Toa Toa. You saw him miss with guys like that that could have filled that role, and Kennedy's that. I mean, this guy's a five-star talent or will end up a five-star talent. They're putting him back at running back in high school against some really good competition. This guy's taking the Wildcat 96 yards or whatever it was, just a really good football player. Um Coach O snuck in to see him Monday. He's the, the Kennedy is at the Alabama Mississippi All Star Game this whole week, and uh, Pete Golding was there and waited out Coach O. So he got the last word in before he left. So um, to me, that's the biggest guy. I mean, obviously Bryce Young's a massive guy too. But there's not a whole lot of drama 
around him. Um, the class, you know, I look at the class, you know, when it, when it comes to recruiting, it's the same thing every year. Nobody cares what they vote. You know, it's like Christmas presents. Nobody cares what you opened. It's what haven't you opened, what's under the yep. the Christmas tree you're excited about. But this Alabama class, if they signed nobody else, would be an excellent class. Um, it would be a really good class. They've still got a lot of big fish on the um, – they're still deep sea fishing, so to speak, still looking for some big names with Darnell Washington, possibly adding another running back. You know, they, they've got so much left, you know, to recruit. But this class in itself is really good. I mean, it's good. It's not heavy on the offensive line, which would be an area I would criticize. Um, <clears throat> and tight end, they still need to get a tight end. But they'll have the late period if they don't land a big guy like Darnell Washington early. But um, mostly they just want to hold on to what they got, especially with the Kennedy guy who could come in play early Bryce Young I mean people have forgotten you know Bryce Young hadn't decided it's amazing you don't really see his name that much anymore but if he had not decided at this point was deciding Wednesday the whole board the round table would be covered up with talk about Bryce Young so um to me Kennedy Kenny's a guy they need to finish with Henry Toa Toa in terms of how it all worked out in 2019 when you factor in the injuries at inside linebacker to Dylan Moses and Josh McMillan in retrospect, in hindsight, not so much if Dylan Moses stays healthy and Josh McMillan stays healthy, but since they did not Henry Toa Toa is in my opinion, as big a miss as I can recall for Alabama on the recruiting trail Uh, and not a miss because they were on him, but in terms of just getting him in the boat uh, and perhaps if Henry Toa Toa had the benefit of hindsight and knowing that Dylan Moses was going to go out and Josh McMillan was going to go out, perhaps he ends up in Tuscaloosa. But, man, you think about what that guy's going to be over the next couple of years and the fact that he's not only going to be that guy, but you're going to have to deal with him on an annual basis if you're Alabama. Uh, just a, a really budding star in Henry Toa Toa. It is T. Watts and T.R. on a Wednesday on the Built by Bama online podcast. Um, You kind of touched on it there as far as do they stay, do they go. I know you put a post up here in the last couple of days on the roundtable, the premium message board there at BamaOnline.com. Definitely a place, the place to be if you're an Alabama fan. Uh, As far as hard news, we haven't really had anything to report in terms of these draft eligibles for Alabama and whether they're staying, whether they're leaving. I think in some instances, it's pretty easy, right, to connect some dots. You see Terrell Lewis at the senior day ceremony against Western Carolina as a redshirt junior taking part in that event. So that tells you, um, you know, some other guys that it would certainly make a lot of sense if they moved on. Other guys, the decision's not quite as easy, even for Tua Tonga-Vailoa, given the injury that he sustained uh, with that hip against Mississippi State. Uh, So we're still, right, in kind of wait-and-see mode in terms of who stays, who goes, who plays, who sits, all of those things, right, Tim? Yeah, I really think that, you know, it's, it's, you know, the season ended and then there was everybody was predicting who was coming back or there was rumors or people were asking. I mean, those kids need a minute from the, the season ending. They had a week, then they had their banquet. I think after the banquet, you know, like Sunday after the banquet, I know that, you know, the, the team met, started talking about bowl prep and everything that would happen in December like they always do. So there were meetings, obviously. I think they're still in the information gathering stage. I mean, 
they still trying to figure out, I mean, am I third round pick? Am I a fifth round pick? Am I a first round pick? Am I a second round pick? And everybody, when it comes down to this, this is why it's hard for me to put percentages. Everybody's situation is not equal. You know, some people have, you know, a mom working three jobs just to make ends meet. You know, you have, you know, other guys who parents, you know, like Damian Harris, they had to escort him off the campus. He loved college football. He loved being at Alabama so much that I think Damian Harris would have played, you know, 12 years at Alabama. I really do. He just loved it. So it just depends mentally what they are, their situation that they're in. Um, I mean, some guys, I just find it really hard to believe. Like, you know, Terrell Lewis, I don't blame him for going pro. Guys have had so many injuries, can't really risk another. I think he'll be a better pro if he's healthy than he would be a college player. Obviously, we missed a lot of his, lot of his season a lot of his career with injuries. Um, a guy like Dylan Moses. I mean, we've seen, you know, Jason Smith. You remember him, the Notre Dame guy who blew his knee out at the uh, Notre Dame linebacker who blew his knee out. Everybody said he would still, you know, they didn't know how far what that injury would do to his draft. He ended up in the second round. He's fine now, and he's he had a big contract. But that first contract, he lost a lot of money. Now, Jason was a senior, didn't have a chance to come back. So, you know, you see this. It just depends. You know, do you want to risk more or do you want to come back and show more? And it's hard to figure out what, you know, what, what these guys are thinking. But I think if, if you're a lock, if you're Jerry Judy and, you know, you're getting the you're going to be the first wide receiver taken. You know, I think, you know, some of these kids are just built for the, the NFL. You know, you look at guys that say, you know, some of these guys say, hey, I'm, I'm going to Alabama for the next three years and they mean it. They come in like Minka. You know, Minka's always my, you know, the the my example. He came in for three years, got his degree, went pro, you know, to killer, went eleventh in the draft, and you know, kills the NFL. So I think some of those guys are just mentally prepared. So I mean, again, you're dealing with human emotions. I don't know how you can predict at this point who will come back. I have talked to some parents of two of the recruits that are expected to go in the first round. And I've known them for a long time, and they're very they've always been very honest with me. I don't think a decision's been made. And I think what I said was they're still doing the filling out process. Where are we going in the draft? You know, you know, how, how's my injury report going to affect me and that stuff? Yeah, and there's an infrastructure to being a professional football player that you have to sort through as well. Representation, right? All those things that you 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 want to sort of at least take an initial temperature of. To see, you know, what type of, again, support staff can I put together? You know, what's going to happen if I do take this step? You know, what what's the next uh, step or two in the process? Um, you know, how, how will that work? And, you know, as you said, some guys, they, they come to a place like Alabama and it's pretty much a three-year deal. You know, and that's it. Um, and oftentimes those are the elite of the elite guys like Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, when you sign a number one running back in the country, like a Najee Harris, Najee Harris doesn't come to Alabama thinking he's going to be there for five years, right? I mean, he's thinking four max. In all likelihood, he's thinking three. And as you said, with every individual being different, it's not just their background, where they come from, those type of things. It's also the position they play and how that ranks in terms of value with the National Football League. Najee Harris is a first-round talent in all likelihood. His position has basically been sort of discounted to the point of being second-round in terms of value. And look, so, look, 
if you look at the running backs in the NFL, it's true. Saquon Barkley's a first-round pick, and he's great. But Alvin Kamara's a third. I think James Conner's a fourth-round pick. Dalvin Cook's a second-round pick. I mean, you can run down the list. Derrick Henry's second round. I yeah. mean, Derrick Henry's a monster. Was a monster in high school. Was a monster at Bama. Was a monster before the draft, and he went second round. So with the running back, you're absolutely right. Um, you can see him go at any any level. Um and a lot of times the NFL guys, because what you can't get in the third round in the draft, it's a lot harder to get a cover corner. It's a lot harder to get a Minka Fitzpatrick in the third, but you can still get a running back. You can still get a tight end. And, you know, it's the same thing for, you know, tight end's a good example. You can be a great talent. And then OJ and the kid from Ole Miss and all of them come out. Well, everybody drafted them in the first round, and they're not really doing as much as you'd hope they'd do. So then the NFL adjust like, shoot, I can get George Kittle in the fifth round. I can get Rob Gronkowski in the second, Jimmy Graham in the third. So you're right. The position value is totally different. You know, it's totally, you know, to a, a quarterback, oh, they're going to take, they're going to take eight of you. They don't care. They're going to take five guys every year just out of habit. Yeah. I mean, we've seen Brady Quinn. We've seen Casey Whedon. We've seen some guys going to Blaine first. Gabbert, Blake I mean, Bortles. EJ These are top Manuel. 10 guys. Hey, man, yeah. we've seen people screaming. Jake Locker. Yes, yeah. we've seen people screaming, do not take them in the first round. And we've seen them go in the, like you said, the top oh, yeah. top 20. So, but obviously two top is, half. Yeah. And two, obviously, is better than any of those, all those guys. Um, you know, one of the best passers I've ever seen. So, yeah, that's going to factor into it. You know, how ready are you to go pro? Like Mac Wilson, he went fifth round, knew he wasn't going first or second round probably. He just wanted to go pro. He was ready to go pro. Yeah. So, it and just, it, and Savion Smith went pro. Yeah, I, I I wonder again though if Savion didn't know the writing was a little bit on the wall with Trayvon coming back from injury, Patrick Sertan at that other corner, uh, and they could figure it out maybe at star with Josh Job or as a third corner or Shaheem Carter in there at that star position. But it just again it illustrates how every situation is totally different and it makes it impossible to sort of paint with a broad brush. Uh, when you're looking at especially this many guys like Alabama has potentially uh, as draft eligibles for the 2020 NFL draft. It is T. Watts and T.R. on the Built by Bama online podcast. Um, Tim, you know, something I wanted to do starting with today's program is sort of span the board instead of spanning the globe like they used to do on the old uh, wide world of sports. You remember that? You're old enough to remember the wide world of sports. I thought we would span the uh, BOL roundtable, just kind of spitball there with the roundtable, take a look at some trending topics there on a message board. As we know, it moves. It moves rather quickly, especially this time of year when you have the culmination of the end of a a regular season in football combined with the recruiting trail combined with the coaching carousel around college football, the decisions that underclassmen have to make in advance of the NFL draft next spring. Um, some topics that we'll just sort of go down the board here and, and look at uh, Derek Henry's cleats. He thinks that Oklahoma will win the college football playoff. <laughs> Well, Tim, I don't, I don't know if I like uh, the chances of Jalen Hurts uh, and, and the Sooners winning at all, but we have at least one subscriber there uh, on the roundtable uh, that thinks that uh, that Oklahoma resembles Alabama from last year. 
and that he expects uh, Oklahoma to get the job done against LSU in a semifinal. He likes Clemson to beat Ohio State. And then he thinks Derrick Henry's cleats does that uh, Oklahoma will beat Clemson in the national championship game with Jalen using his legs and arms. What do you think? What? How do you sort of see this uh, college football playoff playing out now that we know the, the participants? Look, I can't discount a guy with one of the best usernames ever. And <laughs> this guy had it before Derek was like, you know, jumping into the MVP discussion almost. So I got to give the guy some credit. Um, I can see that Jalen, you know, Jalen's been a big, big, big game guy. You know, he's got that reputation, you know, um, obviously two has stepped in. I think a lot of people remember Jalen last year. I know I do stepping in the SEC championship against a nasty Georgia defense and, you know, helping Alabama, you know, come up with a win. So I think it's going to be tough. I don't think it's going to be interesting because I can't, I don't know how good LSU's defense is. The last couple of games, they've been really good, but against Alabama, and again, it's, I know Alabama's great. You know, they, they were exposed pretty big. And then come back with Ole Miss. Now, I like to think, I mean, 400 rushing yards against Ole Miss is, you know, that's pretty bad. And But again, it was after the Bama game that Alabama-LSU hangover they have the next week, so I get it. Um, Jalen would need to play out of his mind. I mean, Lincoln Riley is going to put points on the board. I still feel like Oklahoma two years ago with Baker had a chance to beat Georgia. I mean, I know they had a chance, but I think they probably would have beat Georgia. And uh, Baker got his kidney hurt. He got he got he got a knee pretty good. Uh, I think that affected him. Remember that shootout? Georgia had a pretty good defense, and that was a shootout with those two. So I think we could look for some points here. I'm not sure. You give a random month to prepare for a game. You give Lincoln Riley a month to prepare for a game. That's a, that's a that's a hell of a matchup. You know, it's curious to see. I'd be surprised if Oklahoma beat LSU. Burrow, <clears throat> you know, as much credit as Joe Brady's gotten for putting in this passing attack, I think I think Joe I think Burrow is the reason LSU's so good. I mean, there's no there's no play called when Terrell Lewis has you wrapped up in the backfield and you spin out of that play and run for plus 17 yards instead of minus nine. You saw him do it against Georgia three or four times. The guy's just been fantastic. So I think he's not getting – he should win the Heisman, and there shouldn't even be – he should be the only one getting first-place votes, in my opinion. Oh, he's so, going to be a landslide winner. Saturday I mean, if he might, gets a first – yeah, he should be. I mean, he absolutely yeah. should I mean, be. The, so. the, the, they have three other guys there because they have a show to fill out. I mean, that's, yeah. why, that's why you have four finalists. ESPN needs content. And so, you know, it, it's a show. And so, it, obviously, I think Joe Burrow is going to win, maybe in historic fashion, the 2019 Heisman Trophy. But uh, you'll be able to profile. You know, Jalen makes continues to make for a great story. Justin Fields, uh, you know, to go along with Chase Young. Uh, you, you'll have you'll have plenty to to fill the the you know, allotted little, time there Saturday night. I'm a little disappointed too. It wasn't invited, to be honest with you. I mean, the guy had almost 3,000 yards passing, 33 touchdowns, three interceptions. He's a great story. I mean, Chase Young. I think he missed as many games as Tua, didn't he? Missed a couple. He had to miss a couple he, with that. Uh, yeah. So I just thought Tua should have been there. I should have. I thought. I thought he would have been a good story to interview and talk about him going pro. Obviously, he wasn't going to win it. But you look at his stats and compare him to the rest of the nation. The only oh, yeah. one. 
where he doesn't compare favorably is Joe Burrow. Joe had the, the had the whole season, had a great season. But if you stack two against any other quarterback, probably Fields and all those guys, he had a he had a great in his playing time. He had a great season. No doubt about it. Uh, you know, it it sort of speaks to how haywire the passing game numbers have gone at at, at a multitude of stops in college football. That you know, you look at Tua's numbers in basically nine games. And there have been years not too long ago where he absolutely would have been a Heisman Trophy finalist. But uh, it's it's insane kind of where these passing numbers have gone. And, and you're right. I, I think Joe Burrow uh, athleticism and, uh, you know, those things definitely show up at times uh, and, and help that offense. Uh, and I also think, without a doubt, Joe Brady taking that offense from the 19th century into the 21st century. Uh, played a big role in that as well. As we get out of here on T. Watts and TR on a Wednesday, we got to hit on some Christmas holiday topics. And Tim, I don't know about you, but uh, it seems like earlier and earlier every year, the Christmas music uh, cranks up, regardless of where you're at, whether you're at the Target, whether you're in the car, whether you're at the dentist office. Uh, it seems like I barely get through Labor Day. And we've got the Christmas music going. Are are you a Christmas music guy? Yeah. Or is that that fall under sentimental, Tim? That we've talked about here in the in the recent past, or what? Possibly sentimental, not sentimental. <laughs> there's a there's a there's a difference there. I was possibly a softening, a softening. Hey, of Tim Watts. Who does that? He brings out your emotion. So, um, no, I don't like. I like Christmas. I love Christmas and. I like all the decorations and the family will take trips to see Christmas light and all that, but I don't like Christmas music. I don't, my wife does. I think she plays it, you know, rear around in the car and the kids love it. I'm not a big fan. I mean, I like some of the old, the, uh, you know, when I, you know, if I hear a certain song, I'll stop and listen and love it. The old, uh, David Bowie and, uh, was it Bing Crosby? Crosby. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, stuff like that. I'll hear certain songs and really like it, but overall, nah, you know, I can listen to, you know, certain songs, but I can't do it. You're and you're right. It's early. I mean, it's like before your Halloween candy shopping and you're hearing it. I like a mix. You know, I was we were in a bar recently and it, it was great. It was a great vibe in the bars. A lot of people. It's packed. You know, the place is decorated in holiday fashion. I like all that. But the soundtrack in the bar was the was the the old you know, being, totally being Crosby, uh, that type of you know, 1940s and 50s Christmas music. And that can be depressing, just downright depressing. You yeah. know, I was ready for a shot of arsenic, you know, about four songs into it. I like a mix. I like some Bing. It's not that I don't like some Bing Crosby. Absolutely. But, you know, maybe mix in some Christmas and Hollis with Run DMC. You yeah. know, some, as you said, some Bowie or something. In there. Even Mariah Give, give me a mix. Yeah. Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas. That's one. Now, if you put. Pick it up you, a little bit. Someone made me an old school mixtape. Yeah. I could probably pick 12 or 15 songs I could listen to while I, was, while I was out for a walk or something. But overall, you're right. It'll go. It'll go depressing on you in a minute. It'll go. The the crooner sounds sad. Oh. You know, yeah. half the half every old movie around Christmas, if you think about it, was sad till the very end. You know, some of the most famous, I mean, that, that movie, what's the famous movie with, uh, Jimmy Stewart? Yeah. 
that, that is the saddest movie till the very end. I got to watch two hours of depression during the it's depression. It's a wonderful life. Right? Yeah. I got to watch two hours of depression during the depression. And then for him to hit a home run here in the last five minutes. So, uh, the kids love it. I still like the youngest ones still get a worried look on their face when he's on the bridge. But, um, yeah, for the most part, I want it to be happy, you know, Yeah. cheerful. Now, what what about ugly, ugly Christmas sweater? Are, are you ugly Christmas sweater guy or you? No, I mean, I've been ugly Christmas sweater guy, but I didn't know I was the ugly Christmas sweater guy. <laughs> I thought I was the fly Christmas sweater guy. Looking back at photos oh. at parties, I was like, yeah, that was the wrong move. And you remember that? Multi Bill Cosby of all people oh, brought multi-colored sweater. You remember those? Uh-huh. Absolutely. Was, that was me dressed up with the cheapest gold chain going to the mall and I changed from my starter jacket, which matched my starter hat. That was me. Remember the gap used to have some just oh awful my. looking back? They they had some sweaters back in the early nineties that were just horrendous. But I I'll admit, unwittingly, like you, Tim, I wore them. You know, I thought I was I thought I looked great. Oh, but man. looking back, it was it was. Yes, I look I look back, and when I thought I looked my best, I absolutely Z Cavaricis. A bow. I got pictures in a bolo. Like I had I'm those saying, bugle boys. Like I had those bugle boy jeans, acid wash pegged with the paisley liner. What's up? How much time some? of our life did we waste <laughs> ironing blue jeans to crease them, peg them, pin them up to make sure they didn't come down the whole night? Oh, it's a, it's a good day and a half, two days of our life just pegging. Maybe some K Swisses, you know, oh, kicking know. them. You know, I still see. You know, it's funny. I like told my kid, I still love a good white shoe. Yeah. You know, I yeah. still love a good clean white shoe. Nothing sets off jeans like that. Absolutely, some Reeboks back in the day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Hey, um, Christmas presents in terms of opening them. Uh, Christmas presents on Christmas Eve, Christmas presents on Christmas Day, or maybe a, a mix. Maybe Christmas present opening on both Christmas Eve and uh, Christmas Day. How, do, how does that work for you? You know, we do it pretty much. I mean, I'm I'm sort of a I, – I'll surprise the kids, and all mine are old enough now to sort of know the truth about Santa, but I'll surprise them on Christmas. Um, we don't let them do Christmas Eve. Now, what they get, I think – they get other people's gifts. So I've never had to, um, you know, my wife, you know, her family sees them on Christmas Eve. So they're opening presents and my family comes over on Christmas. So they're getting Christmas presents. It was so bad. We were so spread out one year. My youngest son, he got presents for nine straight days, eight, eight straight days. And on the ninth day, he looked up and he's like, where's my present? I was like, get the hell out of here. This is not a year-round great in Christmas. I was like, get out of here. He's like, where's my present? I was like, dude, it ain't every day. But we were so spread out with relatives, people bringing them late. Everybody was out of town. So it was just spread out so much that he just thought every day he woke up, I want breakfast, I want cartoons, I want a present. (laughs) You know, I used to get upset because we always would do, as a kid, we would get the one Christmas present. Christmas Eve night, and I mean, just about every year it was new pajamas. You talk about a letdown on Christmas Eve to open that one gift, and it's the freaking pajamas. And then one year, the folks decided, hey, we'll mix it up a little bit, and they had these big boxes under the tree. And so we're thinking, ah, here we go again. You know, we're going to do the Christmas Eve opening, and it's going to be the standard box with the standard pajamas. And 
uh, mom goes, no, 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 no. You get to open the big that big box on Christmas Eve. And we were jacked, bro. I mean, we thought we had hit <laughs> finally hit the jackpot on uh, Christmas Eve. Tear that baby open, Tim. It's a freaking sleeping bag for Christmas Eve. Oh, my Eve. gosh. Yeah. yeah and I, t- yeah, I tell my kids that it's like my parents cheated. Like I shouldn't get underwear and socks for Christmas. They are supposed to get me that anyways. <laughs> That's like that's why I tell them like I don't I hey what why have I got tidy whities and these socks that go up to my knees again? That yeah. is not that's not a stocking stuffer. You're putting a sock in a sock. That's not how that. they fill out those stockings, you know, oh, with the, then, the socks and the drawers. My and, mom, oh my gosh, she'd fill it up. It'd have so many walnuts. I'm like, mm-hmm. I want candy. I can get walnuts by going in oh, the backyard. I, I don't need you to stuff that in these little mini oranges, tangerines in here. Back when I was a kid, there would always be a pro wrestling illustrated magazine to top off that stocking. That was always the topa on that stocking. So kids, I guess we're the old guys now where kids just don't. Our old man, our old man got a playboy in his stocking every year. So without, you know, as we got to be 12, 13 years old, that was the reason why the older brother and I rushed out there every morning as much as anything, you know, (laughs) race for the magazine, get get to the old man stocking, you know, absolutely. See what oh, dad go. got. <laughs> All right. I think we're good, Tim. You got anything else? Uh, again, we always appreciate everyone there at the round table for checking in with us and hanging out with us there at BamaOnline.com. We know there's another official visit weekend coming up. We've got the lead up to the early signing period there at BOL. We're going to have the start of Citrus Bowl practices coming for you next week at Bama Online. What am I missing, Tim? Fill in the blanks there. You know, it's just that time of year. I mean, there's every, you know, everything. You got, you know, going to have bowl practice coming up with you guys and, uh, you know, heading into the bowl game. You know, I'm excited. You know, people, some people seem to, that's probably outside of the playoffs. Alabama's in the best bowl game to me. It has the most storylines. You got Jim Harbaugh. You've got Nick Saban. I'm not sure what else you could ask for. You got Michigan. A great program, a great tradition. You got Alabama, great program, great tradition. You got people discussing who's staying, who's going. You're going to see Shea Patterson versus Alabama's defense. You're going to get another look at Mac Jones. So I'm excited about that bowl game. And I know that, you know, I know the rankings were a joke. I mean, to me, that was a travesty to have, have those rankings. I mean, I looked up at the second half. You know, some of those teams were better than half the teams in front of them. You know, and Georgia falling a spot after getting drummed the way they did and Alabama fell a spot and didn't even play. So I'm excited to see Alabama and Michigan. So you got the, you got the bowl coverage, bowl practice, you got recruiting, you know, the 18th and it won't stop. The 18th just a breather. You're going to get a halftime until the bowl game's over. And then we're right back to business with official visitors, figuring out how to finish that puzzle. And like I said, the really heated recruiting is heated now, but wait till there's 75% of every prospects off the board. Because oh, yeah. now you got a kid who's being fought by 40 schools that need that tight end, that need that quarterback, that need that running back. You're going to see it's really going to get heated. Last year, the second half of recruiting was just as intense as the first half. Yeah, the four stars getting six-star love after the new year because the pool of available quality candidates to fill those last few remaining slots uh, shrinks considerably, no doubt about it. Well, Tim Watts, always a great job here on T. Watts and TR on the Built by Bama online podcast. Travis Ryer, thanking you. We'll do it again real soon. Talk to you soon, everybody. See you guys on the roundtable.